Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Educator Essentials, the podcast where we talk with our members about success stories, best practices, and strategies for faculty, preceptors, and those involved in the education of the pharmacy workforce. My name is Gina Galanu-Luchin. I'm the director for the ASHP section of Pharmacy Educators and section of Community Pharmacy Practitioners, and today I will serve as the host for the podcast. In our conversation, we're going to be discussing with residency accreditation experts Dr. Julie Degen and Dr. Andrea Robertson about the latest updates to the ASHP accreditation standard for postgraduate residency programs. This is an update that a lot of you have been looking forward to, and so we're so excited to have our experts with us today. Both Julie and Andrea have been longtime surveyors and active leaders in pharmacy residencies. So before we get into the standards, I wanted our audience to get to know our speakers today. So let's take a moment to discuss your background. Julie and Andrea, tell us about your career journey, specifically in residency programs, and your current role within ASHP's accreditation process. And Julie, we'll start with you and then we'll take it over to Andrea. Sounds great. Well, thanks. And thanks for having us, Gina. I'm Julie Dagum. I am a graduate of the University of Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Madison, and I did my residency training. I don't really want to tell you how long ago, but I did my residency training in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I'm actually still at the same organization. I've been involved in residency training for more than 20 years, first as a, well, as a resident, but then as a preceptor, and then as a residency program coordinator, and then as a residency program director for over 15 years. And now I'm the residency program manager for the Advocate Aurora Health System, which is in Wisconsin and Illinois. I also had a longtime practice, though, as the clinical coordinator for neurosciences with a clinical practice in ambulatory care neurology. And at the same time that I was really involved in residency training, our organization was really expanding our number of programs or number of positions. And so part of my role was that I was involved in the growth and the alignment and coordination across all of our residency programs. And that really led up to my current role as residency program manager for the system. I initially became involved in specifically accreditation with ASHP as a practitioner surveyor more than about a decade ago. I think it's been about 11 years. And most recently, I had the honor of serving on the commission for six years. I was the chair in 2021. And I also had the opportunity to lead the standard revision team. So I'm really excited to be here. And thanks for having me. And I'm Andrea Robertson. I completed my pharmacy education at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. And that was before the doctor of pharmacy degree. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree, loved Athens. So I stayed in the area a couple of years and worked and then went back to school and got a doctor of pharmacy degree. And then I moved back to Atlanta, where I grew up and completed a pharmacy residency at Piedmont Hospital. And then I've been in pharmacy a lot longer than Julie, so I'm not going to say how long, but after completing my residency, I've worked in hospital pharmacy for many, many years, both at a couple of hospitals that are really small, less than 100 beds, and then at a couple of 300, 500 bed hospitals. And I've worked in various roles as a clinical specialist, clinical manager, also director of pharmacy. And at my last two hospitals, I started residency training programs, and I was also the program director for each of those programs. And then I became involved, like Julie, with ASHP as a practitioner surveyor. And I really enjoyed it. I loved visiting the different residency programs and seeing different types of practice models. So I was excited about 10 years ago when a position came open at ASHP for a full-time surveyor. So joined ASHP, and it's been a great 10 years. 
Thank you both for sharing. It's always nice to hear about the man behind the curtain or the women behind the curtain in this case, so to speak, especially as we're thinking about standards that impact practice and residency so deeply. And so now that we know a little bit about you, let's shift gears and talk about those new updates. So recently, ASHP published a significant update to the standards for postgraduate residencies. ASHP and the Commission on Credentialing have been working on this update for quite some time. So this was not an overnight change, right? It's been a number of years in hopes of modernizing and harmonizing the standards and residency requirements. So let's talk about that. Can you enlighten us on the process for updating the standards and what does it entail for those who might not be as familiar with how the gears work behind the scenes? Andrea, we'll start with you this time and then go to Julie. You're right that the standards did take a little bit to get completed. And, you know, that was because in the past, the four current standards were always updated separately. And this time, harmonizing the four different standards into one standard was a little more complicated. So updated standard took about three years. And the work began in August of 2019. And actual work of drafting the standard was done by the standards revision team. And the standards revision team included both commissioner credentialing members as well as lead surveyors. And the members represented all the different types of residency training, community-based pharmacy, managed care pharmacy, as well as PJY1 pharmacy and PJY2 residencies. And we really got to know each other really well because we met, you know, every other Friday for at least two hours for, you know, the last two or three years. And then the standards revision team also updated the full commission on credentialing, as well as the other lead surveyors for comments, feedback, and also direction. And then the initial draft was completed and approved by the CSC in December 2021. It was made available for comment through January this year. We got lots of comments. We got over 1,800 comments, and we reviewed every single one of those comments. And that took between February and May this year. So we looked at all the comments. We made several changes based on the feedback we received. And then the period of May to August 2022 really comprised the final approval process because it had to be reviewed by our partner organizations, which are ACCP, APHA, and ACMP. And then the final step for approval was approval by the ASH Board of Directors, which occurred in September this year. Yeah, Andrea did a great job summarizing that. Thanks, Andrea. And maybe just to elaborate a little bit more, when we first started meeting as the standard revision team, and actually even before we started meeting, as Andrea said, one of our biggest goals was harmonizing all of the existing standards into one standard that would apply to all of the different program types, which seemed initially like a very small task, and it actually was a really huge task. And I think something that is really exciting in this standard is having all of the program types harmonized into one. And and that really is what took a bit of extra time because we wanted to make sure that we got everything right with that and we had a lot of context and that type of thing. But we also set a couple of other big picture goals, which was really early in the standard update plan. And some of the big picture goals besides harmonizing into one standard, if that wasn't big enough on its own, besides harmonizing into to one standard, we also knew that we wanted to address preceptor qualifications with the current standard. We know that we had gotten a lot of feedback about preceptor qualifications throughout the lifetime of the current standard. So we wanted to make sure that we spent a lot of focus time really digging into that and really diving in and making sure that we addressed a lot of the questions that had previously come up with preceptor qualifications. Another one of our big picture goals was to really simplify and eliminate some of the duplicates that 
are in the current standard. And I hope that we did a great job with that. We really spent a lot of time making sure that we had clear language, making sure that where there were redundancies within the standard, we tried to make sure that it was very clear and simplified. And that I think is a huge help from a program standpoint. We also wanted to make sure that we were really current with the standards and we wanted to insert well-being and resilience. And we wanted to make sure that we inserted concepts of diversity and inclusion and all of those kinds of things to make sure that the standard is current and really reflective of current practice. And finally, our last big picture goal was to take a look at pharmacy services and really refresh them. And we wanted to focus on what is really fundamental and unique to pharmacy and to pharmacy practice and really look and see what's going on out there in practice and what the future of pharmacy practice holds and make sure that the standards really reflected those concepts. So by setting those big picture goals, we were really able to have that drive a lot of how we conducted our work. And as Andrea said, we met very regularly and we really got to know each other well, but it was really a great experience and a lot of big goals that we had with that. And one of the things that we used too, we had a lot of collaboration between those of us that were on the commission with the commission members and like Andrea said, with focus groups, that type of thing. But we also used a lot of source documents to inform as well concepts from the PAI 2030, the Practice Advancement Initiative from the ASHP Long Range Vision Plan for the pharmacy workforce. And again, focus groups and those kinds of things. We really wanted to make sure that how we were addressing things was really reflective of current practice. That is no small task. 1,800 comments sounds very robust. And it's always good to know, though, that there's the program directors that are very much impacted by this process have the say in the update. And so I am glad to hear that there was a lot of thought from what it sounds like behind how this was redesigned and what the process was like and how the standards were brought into one, but also modernized to meet current and contemporary practices. So with that, I think even though we alluded to that through the conversation of the process, I think some of our new programs might wonder why the change took place. For some, maybe the standards did work and then also the timing for it. So what drives updates to the standards and how frequently should our programs expect changes? Obviously, this seems like a major overhaul of the standards we did have before and a major change in the approach, but what should programs expect moving forward? And Julie, we'll start with you. Yeah, no, Gina, you're right. This was definitely a major overhaul, but at the heart of all of this is that residency training really drives practice excellence and it pushes the profession forward. So we always want to be striving for excellence and striving for contemporary practice and looking to the future. And we want the standards to reflect that from that standpoint. Again, we want residents to be training in an environment that represents best practice. And really the whole process of updating the standard serves to raise the bar for our practice and for our profession. And so with that, we want to make sure that our standard is always reflective of not only where we are, but where we're going. And that's one reason why we really thoughtfully considered some of these future looking source documents like the PAI 2030 and really looked and wanted to get input from focus groups and things like that about what practice looks like for them and where we'd like to go with practice. We also really wanted this standard, though, to, to support residency program directors, to support residency program design and execution and make sure that standard reflects both the current and future climate and program delivery, but also leaves room for innovation and all the really cool things that program directors are doing across the nation. So from that standpoint, again, we sought input from a wide range of perspectives. And as Andrea mentioned, and as you mentioned, the open comment period was incredibly helpful with all of those comments. And again, I'll just reiterate that we went through every single line item of those comments because they were so, so helpful in helping our direction. And again, incorporating a lot of things like well-being and resilience and diversity and inclusion.
inclusion, things that maybe weren't necessarily as directly spelled out in the standards as they are with this current standard. So that's some of the rationale for why the standard needed updating and why it was so important that we take on this. So the frequency of updating standards is generally about every eight years. And between the updates of the standard, there are also updates to guidance. And these occur about twice a year. And guidance in the standard provides more information on how to interpret the standard. And, and guidance updates are generally done to provide more clarity in the standard. You know, often sometimes when we're on survey, we find that some of the standards may be confusing to programs or the programs don't understand the intent of the standard. So updates of guidance help keep the standards current between the every eight year revisions to the standard. So this is a multi-layered process and it sounds like as our newer programs are approaching this, maybe guidance is equally as important as the standard revisions and perhaps more frequent to help with those interpretations. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely important for programs to read both the standards and the guidance because the guidance really helps programs understand the actual standard. And has a new guidance been issued for the updated standards? So the updated standards, yes, the guidance is included as well as the standard. Uh, guidance is actually located under each standard where applicable. Perfect. So programs can find a comprehensive view of both into one big package, it sounds like. Yeah, I think it's about a 40-page standard. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's one-stop shopping. That's good. There's no searching left and right for different components, which is always a plus. So I think we've reiterated at this point that this is a substantive change. We are seeing the merging of the PGY1 and PGY2 programs, and we're also seeing a merging between the different types of PGY1 programs like managed care community, the general PGY1, into one. So Let's maybe go a little deeper into that. Can you speak about the commission's decision to harmonize and why merge everything into one, especially since some programs are quite different in the way they execute and they train their residents, but then also what it means for those programs who up until now were operating differently and now will be coming under the same home, under the one cohesive standard. What changes should they expect in the application and the standard compliance? And we'll start with Andrea on this one. You know, Gina, I think harmonization really will simplify the accreditation process because it'll provide consistency in both expectations and residency training outcomes across all program types because all programs will be following the same standard. But to your point, it will be applied in a way appropriate to each type of practice setting. And actually what will really differentiate programs is their competency areas, goals, and objectives for each type of program. Because as you know, each type of program has its own separate KGOs. I would agree to Andrea's point, the consistency in expectations and in residency training outcomes, I think is a huge benefit of harmonizing the standard into one. And that doesn't mean that every program type is going to be operating identical. It really gives some thought to the environment in which the resident is training in the different program types and how that particular standard is applied in those particular program types. I think it does a really great job in providing that consistency and clarity. But harmonization 
education also has a lot of benefits to programs and can really help out program directors too, just speaking from a program director standpoint, just the ease of being able to understand the standard and having everybody operate under one standard means that you can connect with your colleagues since everybody is following the same standard. You can share ideas, you can do networking, you can say, hey, you know what I'm thinking about this? And that's the same standard that other programs are also looking at. And so we can really have some great active idea sharing and probably some really great innovation, I think, that we'll see come out of the harmonization from the standpoint. I'm also thinking about organizations that run several different program types too. To Andrea's points about the accreditation piece, I think that's going to be really helpful for program directors to prepare for accreditation. Also, to really have a good understanding of the standards, it really supports collaboration between programs within the same system or across organizations or things like that. And a lot of that harmonization and collaboration can lead to increased efficiencies, some really cool ideas that folks have, and really an elevated quality of training for all of our residents, which is really what we're after, right? We want to train our residents to be the absolute best in the profession. And I think the harmonization of the standard is really going to help support that as well. Piggybacking off of the Kago comment that Andrea make, how, are we going to see any changes in those or are those remaining unchanged with the new standard? Yeah, Gina, actually, that's the next step in the process is to take a look at all of the different competency areas, goals, and objectives, or the KGOs, as we refer to them in short. But each of the different program types has a set of KGOs that they're required to have or to build into their program design. And so the process of updating those KGOs is as soon as we finish the standard revision, the commission moved right into working on updating the KGOs. And generally, they take less time than updating the standard. But from that standpoint, yep, that's a process that is actually in progress right now. That's wonderful. So more changes to come, a lot of exciting updates from the accreditation division. So one other thing that we discussed kind of earlier on as we were talking about the reasons behind the new update was modernizing and also applying some contemporary practices and social issues that are ongoing and have affected at a lot of our residency programs and institutions in general. Specifically, we've seen ASHP sharp focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which has made a tremendous impact for the educational sector and training programs. Can you tell Tell us how DEI has impacted the update and what are some new or changing expectations for our programs who I think up until now may have been a bit ambiguous about DEI applications in the formalized process of residency training. Yeah, definitely, Gina. As we talked about a little bit earlier, incorporating concepts of DEI was a big picture goal that we set out to incorporate with this update. But I just want to give a shout out. There is a amazing and dedicated work group that focused just on diversity, equity, and inclusion and really did so much research and so much help in terms of advice in how we should incorporate some of those concepts into the standards and those types of things. And really, we relied on the members of that work group to help us have recommendations for how those concepts could be incorporated. And really, when you see the revised standards, those concepts are incorporated throughout, especially where you see them, you'll see the concepts of DE&I associated with the standards that relate to processes that are used for the recruitment and selection of residents, as well as the recruitment of pharmacy personnel. So those are a couple of really key areas. You'll see it throughout the standard, but those are some really key areas where we incorporated those concepts. And I'd say the DEI work group, they also provided specific advice on language in the standard and guidance. And one of the things they did that I think is really great is they created a very robust diversity resource guide to help programs understand how to implement the DEI standards. And that guide also provides resources and examples. So I'd encourage all programs to really 
take a look at the diversity resource guide. Excellent. So some good reading material and maybe practical advice for that particular perspective. And all of that can be found on ASHP's residency information page. So for those of you listening, make sure you type into your web search function, ASHP residency information, and scroll all the way down to the bottom where we have a ton of documents and resources for our programs. So up next, maybe any other major changes or updates that the audience should know about? We talked about well-being. We talked about DEI specifically. Any other kind of big picture changes and focus areas that we might be seeing in these new standards? Well, you know, you know, overall, a significant change to the standard is that we moved a lot of the great information that was in guidance in the current standard to actual standard statements in the updated standard. And also, as a result of the harmonization into one standard, we expanded on the interpretation of the standard and also how it would be applied in the different practice settings and guidance. And specific to the different each standard, some changes include for standard one, standard one now only addresses the applicant selection process. And the biggest change is inclusion of DEI language to the standard. As far as standard two, all the residency policies that aren't related to applicant selection are now in standard two. And I think some other changes include there's more clarity with regard to the minimum term of appointment for residents, the maximum time away from programs, and the consequences of exceeding the maximum time away from the program. I think the residency policies and other documents are more clearly defined. And for example, the standard now specifies that all programs have to have a residency manual and also what's to be included in that manual. And there's also updated information that programs need to provide to candidates and also the timing parameters for providing the information has changed. And then for standard three, I think standard three is really pretty similar to standard three for most types of residency programs with the current standard. There is more emphasis on the depth and breadth of experiences, the core components of program design, and also ensuring the program structure facilitates achievement of the required objectives and the appendix for programs that have an appendix in their CAGOs. It also now includes expectations for completing and tracking required objectives, the appendix where applicable, and program completion requirements on a quarterly basis. And then development plans were refreshed. And I think the biggest change to the development plans was it now includes the resident self-assessment component. And then specific to PG-1 community-based pharmacy programs, they had some basic core services in standard three. And those have now been removed from the new standard, but they'll be addressed in the upcoming CAGOs revision. I think Julie's going to talk a little bit about standard four and five. Yeah, standard three is really kind of the bread and butter in the program design of residency programs and things like that. Standard four, though, we spent a lot of time, as we talked about, one of our big picture goals was we really wanted to take a deep dive into preceptor qualifications and really make sure that we really thoughtfully addressed some of the great points that had been previously brought up. So standard four covers the requirements of the residency program director and preceptors. And one of the big things that we did was we updated the RPD and preceptor eligibility and qualifications. A lot of what we did in this section was provided clarity on how it's surveyed. In some cases, we didn't really make significant changes in the standard itself, but we were very clear and very transparent in how that standard was surveyed, which I think was maybe a little bit of a difference in the current standard was that where people thought, oh, hey, does this count for eligibility or qualifications? And maybe it did, or maybe it didn't. We tried to be very clear if it 
it does or if it doesn't in the new standard. We also really looked at number of years of experience for content expertise. I know that was an area of a lot of discussion in the current standard. And we shortened that from if that is how folks are using experience in pharmacy to meet the content expertise component of qualifications, we shortened that from 10 years in pharmacy practice to five years in practice area in which they're precepting, which I think is a really great change. And that's really, I think, helpful for a lot of folks. We also looked at contributions to practice and role modeling. So we still have contributions to practice and role modeling. We adjusted how frequently those need to occur. We adjusted those. They were every five years. Now it's within the past four years to really align with the new eight-year accreditation cycle. So that's something I think that programs have noticed was, hey, how come this went from five years to four years? And that's really to align with that accreditation cycle. We also eliminated the preceptor in training designation. The current standard required it if somebody didn't meet all of the eligibility and qualifications that they were made a preceptor in training. And we really eliminated that designation and instead focused on what is the preceptor going to do over the next year, over the next two years in order to look at those eligibility and qualifications and what are they going to do in order to enhance their practice from that standpoint. So I think all of those pieces related to preceptor eligibility and qualifications and really kind of following into our PD eligibility and qualifications were a really helpful adjustments that we made. Another change in standard four was we defined program oversights and we really included program quality kind of ongoing adjustments to the program. We defined what that looks like. And we also defined the formal program review that we'd like to be done with each of the residency programs, at least annually. We also made some adjustments to allow for various structures that might occur in organizations when you have multiple programs that are being run in different organizations. If you've got a residency oversight committee, is that per program? Is that per organization? And we really tried to provide how that can be delivered and how that can be designed within a program as long as different components are met. And then finally, with standard for everybody's favorite academic and professional record of the APR, we updated that too. We know that that's constantly a work in progress, but some of the changes that we made to the updated APR was we really tried to make sure that it was very obvious on the APR how each section of that linked back to the standards, as opposed to maybe just looking like they were questions that we were asking or things like that, but to really try to link that back to the standards so that folks could really see that link. But again, there's a plan to transition ultimately the paper academic and professional record to farm academic. I think that's something that everyone's really excited about in the future, but that's some of the adjustments in standard four. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about a couple adjustments in standard five, which is pharmacy services. Really, when we refreshed that, we took a look at a lot of the components and we essentially divided them into three sections, pharmacy leadership, medication use systems, and patient-centered care. And I think these are really great enhancements for the pharmacy services component of the standard. If you can follow all that, are some of the major changes that are in standards one through five or all of the revised standards. Again, one of the biggest changes in the standard overall is that we tried to take some of the duplication that existed in the current standard and we tried to eliminate that and then really simplify the current standard and make sure that it's really clear and easy to follow and easy to understand is our hope. And that's what some of the comments that we got back leads us to believe that we were in the right direction with that. But that was one of the other really big changes with the standard. 
That is great. And a lot of simplification, I think removing duplication is always helpful, especially when programs and newer programs have to implement and learn a lot of this new information. But I think, you know, new and old, everybody has to adjust to this new standard. So speaking of that, our residency program directors and preceptors will need some time to read, understand, digest, implement these changes. When does the new standard go into effect? And are there any resources currently that are programs can lean on to prepare for adopting to these new changes that were released? Yeah, Gina, that's like the million dollar question, right? There's a lot of information out there and needing some time. And what does this all mean for residency programs? So all programs will adopt the revised accreditation standard in summer of 2023. So that means with the incoming 2023-2024 residency class is when these standards will apply to that class. And then going forward from that, and there has been a lot of work on resources. As Andrea mentioned earlier, the guidance is really, really helpful in interpreting the standard and interpreting what is meant by the standard and, and those kinds of things and provides lots of examples and those kinds of things. So really just the standard and the guidance itself, that document, since the goal was to be really, really clear and to be very simple, even though it's a long document, hopefully the document itself is very helpful. So take a look at the standard and guidance. It's all in one document. As Andrea mentioned too, the diversity resource guide, I think is absolutely huge. It's an incredible piece of work that I think is going to be really helpful for programs. So if folks haven't taken a look at that yet, it's out there on the ASHP website. And the updated academic and professional record form, I think just gives you sort of a different visual way of looking at preceptor and RPD qualifications. So those three items that are out on the ASHP website now, but there's also a lot of other things. We've had a dedicated session just on the standard revision at this past National Pharmacy Preceptors Conference in October, and we'll have dedicated sessions at mid-year as well to talk about some of the key takeaways of the standard, really designed to do a high-level summary of the updates, but also to have a lot of open question and answer from folks that are able to attend those. The residency program design and conduct workshops. So the RPDC workshops held live at mid-year this year, but they'll also be virtual offerings in 2023. I think the dates are still being determined, but from that standpoint, that's also a really great place to take a really deep dive into the standards and also to just interact with other program directors and really bounce ideas off of each other and in those kinds of things like that. So those are really great resources as well. We really appreciate, Gina, this podcast because this gives us a chance to be able to reach out to folks too. So anyone listening to the podcast, hopefully you've also found this helpful. So we appreciate that as an opportunity to get the word out as well. And Gina, as you mentioned earlier, I think the ASHP website is a great, great resource for the standard. And I'd encourage everybody to consult it. You can find the new standard and guidance currently on the website as well as the diversity resource guide and also the updated APR forms. And we're working to add many, many more things to the website in the next couple of months, including a crosswalk between the current standards and the new standard. We'll be adding a well-being and resource guide. There's going to be lots of example documents uploaded to the SHP website over the next few months, and they're being uploaded as they're created. We're also updating the pre-survey packets to match the new standard, and those should be on the website shortly. And in addition to the website, the communique, which is our newsletter, which comes out twice a year, it's always a great resource for hot topics. 
wealth of resources. I think a lot of homework for our audience today. And of course, for any questions, you can always reach out to ASHP and we can point you in the right direction. Hopefully this podcast was a little bit of help, but the website is a good go-to and we are always available to help. So unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. I know we could be talking about this for hours. It's a 40 page plus document with other resources as well. But I want to thank Julie and Andrea for being here today. This was a really enlightening conversation for us and hopefully for those listening. Also, we want to thank you for the work that you have done both with through the work groups and with the commission in helping ensure that residency training remains current and continues to push our practice forward. So we're very thankful for all the work and the hours that you've put into it. And hopefully we'll continue to improve with time. So thanks again to everyone listening. For those who are looking for resources, again, just a reminder, go to the ASHP website for information, specifically our residency information page. We also have a preceptor toolkit and an educator resource center where you can find some member exclusive offerings as well as open access documents for those looking. Thanks again for tuning in in this session of Educator Essentials. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion and be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe rate or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.